You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It is Tuesday, March 15th, and you're listening to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Blair Angulo. I am your host. I am joined by national recruiting analyst Brian Doan. Brian, spring is in the air. Do you miss spring training? <laughs> Long-time baseball beat writer, right? So no. do you do you ever get that itch for, for Vero Beach? Or I don't know if you, I mean, d- did you do any of the Arizona spring I training? Did, I, I did not do Arizona spring training. I did Vero beach. Let's see. Let me, let me answer it this way, Blair. Do I miss traveling across the country for two months, not seeing my wife. And then for the last five weeks, every other day, driving anywhere between an hour and two and a half hours to go cover a meaningless spring training game while you're in Vero beach. Do I miss that? I'm going to go with no. Yeah, that's a tough call. That's a tough call. (laughs) I mean, you know, what's funny is that I remember you talking about being in those clubhouses, the long days, I don't think people realize that if you're a baseball beat writer, you're in, the, you're at the stadium around what, noon or one o'clock? No, no, you, you would get, I would, so this is when I lived in LA covering the Dodgers. Monday through Thursday, if it was a home game, you are at the stadium by three, no later than three, probably aren't leaving until 1230. And then since you're on the West Coast, if you have any agents or scouts or people in major league baseball offices that you need to talk to probably have to get up a little early because of the time change and then if you're on the road you're usually in the clubhouse by 3 30 quarter to four and you're leaving two to three hours after the game sometimes get to your hotel at one in the morning and you have that 7 a.m flight to another city for games so you will never work harder to me covering sports than you do covering baseball yeah well baseball is back and i felt like i should bring us back give us a little flashback to the to the former brian doan let's get to the current brian doan we're going to discuss here uh in our continuing series looking at first year head coaches across college football and let's go to the state of virginia new head coaches at virginia and virginia tech uh do you want to start with one who do you, who do you want to start with we can start with with tech the hokies you know, Brent Prize there got the job from Penn State. So, you know, trying to make Virginia Tech relevant in, in the Commonwealth again. What, what's what been, when you talk to recruits, when you talk to parents and coaches, and obviously it's early in, in his tenure there after arriving from Penn State, what's been a big recruiting pitch that you've heard? What's been kind of a, a message that has been underlying a lot of these recruitments? You know, for, for a lot of it, it was, hey, we need to finish up the 22 class before we can really move toward the 23. But a lot of it was head coach Brent Pry being engaged with recruits. You know, they, they were waiting for, for um, Tyler Bowen, the offensive coordinator who was with the NFL. So it took time for him to get settled in there before they could announce it because he had to finish out his NFL contract. But, you know, it's kind of just identifying and getting kids on campus and engaging with prospects and, and trying to get the high-level kids on campus. And you sit there and you say, well, gee, no, duh, that makes sense. But that's not how it was. I mean, it was where Virginia Tech, in a lot of instances, made itself believe or, or talked themselves into, you know, hey, this kid's going to be good enough. A lot of times it didn't work out. So, so it's more still introducing a lot of the prospects 
to Virginia Tech to what the new staff is. They had some, you know, they had some visit days in late January, which helped with that. But, you know, they started out with spring break. So it's not like they've had a ton of visitors in March so far. You have to go back to 2018 to see the last time that Virginia Tech finished inside the top 25 nationally in the composite team recruiting rankings. It's been a few years. Um, and obviously there, there was, I think, a lot of shortcomings there under Justin Fuente. And even even though you know they did finish with a top 25 class in 2018, it seems like the development and you know getting some of that the the playmakers that you're bringing in the evaluations it just wasn't there right and and i feel like virginia tech has kind of been misstepping here in recruiting over the last few years now you put in the transfer portal that adds another dimension that could allow a brent pry or or even a tony ellie who we're going to touch on here in a bit to rebuild a team at a much ex- a much more accelerated pace. Do you sense that 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 could be a sort of an identity for this program under Pry? Well, I, I think when you look at it, everybody's going to try to build in some regard under the, in the transfer portal, right? That's just the way business is, is getting done now. Whether you agree with it, disagree, whatever. It's it's just it's not an easy job though. Because listen, there's three positions that are needed to have success. At any level of football, you need a quarterback, you need the offensive line, and you need a defensive line, and especially guys who can go get the passer. Well, there's not a lot of those guys out there that can play at really high levels. And so a lot of, you know, those kids, when they're going into the transfer portal, you know, if you're, if you're a really high level player, you're, you're looking at a top 10 program, you know, and, and maybe trying to get somebody through that way. I mean, you look at Penn State went and got a Cornell transfer year before that or two years before that they got a harvard transfer for the offensive line duke transfer temple transfer on the line of scrimmage and so it's not easy to go find these guys and and same with a quarterback a quarterback wants to go to a situation where a they can play and b where they have an offensive line who can protect him so it's nice to sit here and say yeah you can turn things around quickly through the portal to me you can't become a higher level team within your conference doing it through the portal. You can fill a spot here or a spot there and kind of patch things up, but you can't do it through the portal. And the other thing, you know, the portal is great in some regards, but in other regards, you know, there's a reason kids are leaving. And, you know, whether you're a kid who has decided you're too good for the school you're at, so you want to go somewhere else, or whether you've had trouble either on the, getting on the field or off the field issues, there's always a reason why you're transferring. And to think that everything's going to pan out and the portal is easy to navigate, no, it's not. And there's a lot of competition for the top players. So for me, the portal, you just have to be careful with it. And, and if you're going to try to really build a program, doing it off the portal is not the way to go. There are four players in the state of Virginia that are committed to Power 5 programs at the moment right now in the 2023 class. All four of them committed to Penn State. Do you think that's uh, an element there that could help Brent Pry? Because obviously Penn State has been making, you know, obviously the, the state of Virginia a place that they go out and try to get talent. What's kind of the, the thought process there with Virginia Tech, Brent Pry, and them trying to maybe keep some of these top players home? Well, again, it's it's the challenge of it, right? And so Penn State will always 
have a presence in Northern Virginia with getting some of these kids, which they have. You look at Alex Birchmeyer, who's a you know a top end kid, one of the best offensive linemen in the country. He's been committed there for a while. Doesn't matter who was coach at Tech. Matthias Barnwell, tight end, maybe he'll be an offensive lineman in college. He's committed there again, a Northern Virginia kid. You know, it's not an easy thing for Virginia Tech to do, and I think. You know, getting these kids on campus is huge, but you bring up a great point, Blair. You're talking about these kids in the 23 class who are already committed to Penn State. By the time, you know, Brent Price hired, Penn State is already very far along in building relationships with these guys, with these kids to get the commitments. So already you're, you're operating from behind the eight ball in terms of the top players. The other thing is, where the talent always used to be was Virginia Beach area, Tidewater, 757. It was over there. And Virginia Tech for a long time made a living over there. And they forgot about that area for the last few classes. And so those kids started going elsewhere as well. And, and North Carolina moved in and got some of those kids. And you know, then you're looking at maybe the Richmond area and Clemson was involved. And so what happens? And, and then Oklahoma came in and took some kids from over there. And so what happened was, A, you know, these kids are, are going to some programs that have made the playoffs and they think they can get to a playoff. And it's just become easy for schools to go into Virginia and recruit. And so you lost your home state advantage and they have to, you know, them and Virginia, they have to figure out how to make those connections to get on these kids early. And I, I know, you know, we're talking 23s, but this is the time they need to make an impact with the 24s and the 25s. I think what you see with Brent Pry at Tech and, and to a degree with Tony Ellett at Virginia is they're going with some of the relationships they've built at their previous stops. So, you know, Josiah Trotter, who, who plays at Philadelphia St. Joe's, a linebacker who has tech in his top five and is, is a kid that tech's doing well with, well, Pry knows him from Penn State. And so that's what I'm seeing a little bit more is relying on some of those relationships to get these kids on campus and to get in with them. But, you know, it's still been tough sledding for the high-end kids. Yeah, Virginia Tech and Brent Price still looking for their first commitment here in the 2023 class. That's also the case for Tony Elliott and Virginia. We're going to get into the Cavaliers here after the break. You're listening to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Welcome back to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. My name is Blair Angulo, joined by Brian Doan. He's the National Recruiting Analyst for 24-7 Sports, a former beleaguered baseball beat writer. I mean, you're, you're, you weathered the storm, Brian. Yeah, I tell you what, it, it's... Uh... <laughs> it's a grind. It, well, is a, you know, it is a grind. It, it's challenging. I mean, you know, you finish your season after eight months, and then you have GM meetings, winter meetings, and free agency the hot beyond stove. that yeah yeah so it's 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 uh you know you're better for it you work hard you meet a lot of great people i got to travel the country not only for free i got paid for it and stayed at the best hotels and ate at great restaurants so there's definitely rewards to it it's great but it's uh you know, it's not all sunshine and roses, but it's one of the reasons. I, one of the reasons I love doing this recruiting stuff is you really meet kids who are truly grinding to make something of themselves, and and they're very positive, and and they go to. It makes me feel young, and these kids are going to college to change their family situation or the world, which or both. You know, because most of them will not play in the NFL, but it's really fun to deal with these kids and how excited they get just at at some of the things that maybe you and I would take for granted. Yeah, I think it's very interesting. And it's, it is a change of pace in terms of how you're covering a, a sport, right? Like you're now at ground zero in a way, uh, looking at some of the prospects before they even get to college. And you've already covered a lot of players that have already made it in the professional ranks. So I think it gives you a, a unique perspective. I'm always curious what your questions are like, or you know how you're able to shape some interviews, because I think you have a, a different perspective in terms of what questions should be asked. So it's always really interesting. Yeah, I, I I always take the approach this way. So I have a 16-year-old, right, who if anybody tried to interview him, geez, Louise, I feel bad for that interviewer, right? <laughs> because, you know, because like most 16-year-olds, and it's fun sometimes when you talk to these kids when they're doing their first interview, and then you talk to them maybe when they commit or whatever, or when they're getting close, and they're so much more comfortable doing it and, and who they are and, and how they handle things. But I always, I always approach it this way, and I tell the kids this. Covering this stuff is supposed to be a celebration of what they do, right? So I never want to put a kid in a bad spot and you know, try to put words in his mouth or force answers. So I kind of just, you know, I always ask it, what do you want to talk about? And we kind of take it from there. And I always try to keep it low key. And I always, you know, one thing that's always important to me is I don't care if they're 18 already. To me, they're kids. Like I'll text or see some of them in college or even after they're in college, you know, after they get out of college and I'll still be like calling them kids because that that's what it is to me. And so I always want to make sure they feel good about a story I'm writing and they feel good and comfortable coming out of an interview. And I, I think that's the that's what works for me. I'm not saying it works for everybody, but that's what works for me is just kind of making these kids feel like, hey, recruiting can be stressful, but talking to me shouldn't be a stressful part. So let's just try to have fun and, you know, take it from there. Yeah, 100%. Well, I hope you're still staying in the best hotels from across the country. I mean, that you, you still need you still need to have that under your belt. Well, I, I do, but we're going to have to talk to CBS about that if we want to keep that going. Oh, man. All right. Let's move on to Virginia and Tony Elliott. They are obviously in a, in a 
different situation, I think, than uh, Virginia Tech. Uh, you know, it seemed like Bronco Mendenhall uh, was going to be there and and kind of just steps down out of the blue. And and they had to, you know, kind of in a way, scramble to find their guy. Um, and, and Tony Elliott obviously comes from Clemson, had been there for a decade, had really established himself as one of the better position coaches and offensive minds in college football. And I think had been known for his development, um, not only for receivers, but also his eye for talent. You know, I think he was churning out top guy after top guy. And this isn't a coach that maybe used Clemson as a stepping stone. Like he really built his 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 rep, his reputation there, right? Like they they started. Remember when people used to use the word Clemsoning, right? When when Clemson <laughs> was choking all the time, he was a part of that turnaround uh, and, and to elevate that program to where it is now in terms of the national perspective. But I think this gives Virginia a lot of recruiting pool because. He's built a really good staff around him, um, and I think he has, as as the head man himself, has a lot of energy for recruiting. Yeah, there, there's a lot to unpack with what you just said, and so I'll, I'll hit on a couple of things. And first and foremost, um, that's what that's what I do, Brian. I t- yeah. I tee you up uh, on all directions. Yeah, I, well, this is going to be a while on this answer. You know me, <laughs> so we'll start with this. There's times, and there there still were in the last four or five years where. Clemson would take a kid and you'd be like, hmm, that's a strange take. I wouldn't think Clemson would move on that player. And most times it worked out for them. And so it goes to what you said in terms of an eye for talent and understanding how to develop the talent, but also understanding how a player fits into a scheme, right? So, you know, there's that aspect of what Tony Elliott did. There's the idea that, listen, if Trevor Lawrence was the quarterback, I think a lot of people would have success, right? But he still developed, you know, a lot of offensive players and understood how to fit those players into the offensive system, whether it was, you know, running the ball, whether it was some of the receivers they had. And you never left a season with Clemson feeling like, boy, that guy should have got the ball more and didn't. So he understood how to handle that aspect of it. And that's going to be huge because he's going to have to find some hidden gems and develop them at Virginia. You know, I talked before about Pry and, you know, how he was already behind with some kids in the 23 class. Well, you can multiply that with Tony Elliott and UVA because you mentioned about how it took a little bit while to hire him. Well, the word was that Anthony Pondexter, you know, who's loved at UVA, Penn State assistant was going to get the job so much so that was talking about, you know, to some people in the coaching ranks about joining his staff. And then the word started getting around that it wasn't so much that UVA was going to not pay the head coach a ton, but the pool for the assistants was not going to be huge. So it took a while for UVA to get their coaching staff together. So by the time UVA's coaching staff was together and Tony Elliott was hired and you can move forward, they lost a ton of guys on the offensive line to the transfer portal. So now UVA's focus in January was getting your 22 class and getting transfers. Well, now your 23 suffers because you weren't able to build all those relationships in January to the extent that maybe some other schools were who had pretty much finished their recruiting in December. Well, now we finished spring break and you know UVA is getting ready to get some kids on campus. They have a big junior day coming up on the 26th of this month. 
and you know jackie at wahoo's 247 will be all over that because she's all over everything with with uva but to me they're really far behind already in 23 and now they got to figure out a way to catch up now the good thing is and i don't know blair if you've seen this out west but one of the things i'm seeing here in the east is because 22 recruiting was so messed up that kids only were able to really visit in june then the end of July, then maybe get some guys on campus in the fall, but you still had to love them up when they came on campus, that the 23s were not able to get out and experience recruiting like we had seen in years past. So I feel like the whole 23 class is a little bit behind in where recruiting had been for a few years in terms of decisions and everything. Now that said, I figure by the end of April, there'll be a ton of kids committing. Yeah, th- those first few years, right? Freshman, sophomore year, it's more of an introduction. You're you're meeting coaches for the first time, or you're familiarizing yourself with the process. And like you like you said, with the pandemic and without the visits being available, none of the 2023 prospects were able to do that. So that's why it's been so important here at the start of the year and and towards the end of of last season for a lot of these players uh, who are going to be seniors this fall to hit the road and and establish coaches. Uh, coaching relationships and and meet some of the staff members and familiarize themselves with maybe some of their options and and then you you obviously you kind of have to factor in the fact that there's been so much coaching movement that maybe some of those relationships they had already established are are now out the window or the coach that they knew is no longer in, in you know within driving distance of the school that they were looking at so there's a lot of different variables now i i do sense though that like you said at towards the end of april heading into you know the, those summer months when when the official visits begin, um, there's going to be a lot more movement. I think players now see that there is a blueprint that coaches are following in terms of taking commitments at a certain time because they're going to reserve some spots for the portal. They're going to reserve some spots for the elite guys that they're, they're they're chasing later on. And there's only a handful of spots available now in every recruiting class. And I think that's going to create a ripple effect. We're going to see uh, prospects come off the board and and maybe try to secure a spot. Now, with that being said, Virginia has no commitments. They did have a commitment previously from a quarterback who has since decommitted. He was committed to the to the previous staff. Um, but but do you feel like there's a ceiling to what Virginia can do on the recruiting trail? And and how important is you know this this summer heading into the season for them before they're able to show things on the field? Yeah, I, I think it could be a little while before they show things on the field because of the losses on the offensive line, right? And we know how long it takes to develop offensive linemen. And that's okay because Tony Elledge trying to bring the program to a higher level than it's been at. And I realized that Bronco Mendenhall did get to the uh, conference championship game a few years ago. Now, the ceiling is always an interesting topic when it comes to UVA. Blair, obviously you live out West. You're familiar with Stanford. I am not saying Virginia is at Stanford's level when it comes to academics, but Virginia is one of, if not the top public school when it comes to the mixture of education and high-level sports that there is in the country. And there is always a draw, especially with parents, if they can have their kid go to that school. It's, it's a big draw. You talk to anybody, whether it's recruiting related or just anything else in life who has any kind of base knowledge of UVA. And what always comes up is the academics. So to me, if UVA can understand who to, who their target is, if they can understand that and recruit to that kid and that family who really wants the 
academic and athletic experience to both be high levels. I think Virginia has a really high ceiling, but they have to have somebody in place who can sell that, who can make that resonate with kids. We'll see if Tony, I'm not saying he can, I'm not saying he cannot. We have to wait and see what happens. But I do think there is a high ceiling there, you know, if they have the right person in place and the support is the right way. I mean, I I think they can be a really, really good program. Yeah. So many head coaching changes in every pocket of the country, SEC, down in the Big 12, out West. But but keep an eye on the state of Virginia and and what's going to be happening here with Brent Pry and Tony Elliott, Virginia Tech and Virginia. And speaking of keeping an eye, Brian, before we go, I'm not sure I'm going to have you on the show next week, but I know people tune in whenever they know that you're going to be a guest to get the soccer lowdown. You got a big matchup at the Azteca that I was trying to convince you to go to. What do you got, man? What do you got for us? USA versus Mexico. Winner kind of controls their own destiny in a way, heading into the final stretch run uh, of World Cup qualifying. Yeah, I, I think unfortunately for the US, it's going to come down to that last game in Costa Rica. Listen, Mexico as a football federation has a lot of issues right now that they're dealing with. I'm sure some people out there saw some of the stuff that went on, I think maybe 10 days ago or whatever at one of the club matches. So I'm curious to see what the atmosphere is going to be like for that game with the U S I'm curious, you know, Mexico is not playing great football either. So you can definitely go in and, and get a point there. I have no faith that they'll be able to get any points at the Azteca. They'll come home. They should win that game. And then we'll see what happens, you know, with Panama and Costa Rica and kind of going down to Costa Rica needing at least a point to clinch a spot. I I think that's where we're at right now. I think that's the realistic approach. Weston McKinney's hurt, right? So that's going to, that's a problem. But at the end of the day, the U.S., the, the struggles of the U.S., outside of its manager, who I'm sure will do something ridiculous. The struggles of the U.S. has always been finding a creative way to put the ball in the net. And until I see some consistency with that, I think that'll continue to be a problem. And I think that'll be a big problem in Mexico. Thursday, March 24th, 10 p.m. Eastern, Mexico, USA, from the Azteca. And you can follow Brian Doan and his lively tweets during the game at Brian Doan 247. Brian, I can't wait for it. It's going to be a lot of fun to be in that text thread with you. Yeah, (laughs) fun is one way to put it. But yeah, I am looking forward to it. I mean, it's kind of what you what I live for with soccer or games like this. So it should be fun. All right. Brian Doan, you can follow him on Twitter. Like I said, at Brian Doan 247 National Recruiting Allies for 24-7 Sports. For Brian Doan and our producer, Lance Glenn, I am Blair Angulo. Thank you so much for tuning into this edition of the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.